Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. This is our look from the WSL all the way down to the National League. I'm Luke Edwards and joining me this week, we have the Suns Women's Football Reporter, Sandra Broby. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Dan. Sorry. Hi, Luke. How are you doing? Yeah. I'm very well, thanks, Sandra. And we've also got the editor of FA WSL full-time, Dan Penland. Hello, Dan. Hi, Luke. Good to speak with you. And she's back for the first time this season. It's Alex Pereira. Hi, Alex. Hi, Luke. Hopefully this season's going to be just as exciting as the WSL title race was last season. We shall soon see. Now, due to the sad passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, all games this weekend held a minute's silence before kickoff. And all of us here at the podcast, of course, pass on our sorrow and our sadness and all our thoughts are with the royal family at this time. Now, with the games being called off last weekend, this was the first weekend back for the WSL after that memorable summer. Dan, I saw a tweet from you that said a lot to be digested this weekend from the WSL action. Well, it was a good fill that we had, wasn't it? Something for everybody, wasn't it? Goals, excitement, one or two shock results, which I'm sure we'll come on to. So, yeah, I think we got our money's worth. I think that's fair to say, without a doubt. But, yeah, long may it continue. Some people will be heading for the Gaviscon, I think, after after that weekend. And the starters was Friday night, Arsenal kicking off at home to Brighton. And it was a comprehensive win by four goals to nil. The first red card of the season came after seven minutes when Emma Kohlberg was sent off for bringing down Stina Blackstenius as she bared down on goal. Kim Little scored the first goal of the WSL season. And Euro's golden boot winner Beth Mead needed no time to settle back into club football as she scored twice and set up Black Stenius in Arsenal's victory over Brighton. Now, I suppose the big question is, Sandra, can Arsenal challenge Chelsea again this season? Absolutely. I mean, if you know they've started strongly, um, you know Beth Mead has continued that goal-scoring form that she showed uh, so uh, so well at the Euros, um, and they, you know, they they really. I mean, Brighton are difficult to break down and obviously the sending off, uh, you know, kind of undermine them. But Arsenal were clinically in front of goal with Mead. So they, they had the bit between the teeth and they can certainly challenge Chelsea um, this term, definitely. Alex, as a Chelsea fan, are you worried about Arsenal? I mean, of course, you're always worried about a London rival and particularly... Arsenal, who pushed us all the way to the last game of the season. It's the first game of the season. Yes, it's four goals against Brighton, but maybe perhaps we need to see them test themselves against the likes of City, because although, you know, City are sort of in that transition period, I feel like Arsenal kind of need to test themselves against higher opposition, and you never know if they do qualify for the Women's Champions League, because I'm still really unclear how that all works. It's going to be interesting to see how they go in the Women's Champions League this season, as well as playing alongside the league. Yeah, we're going to look at the Champions League later on. Maybe Sandra can explain the structure of it all as well, because I know we were uh, all looking at the rule book and how it all works, in, especially in the qualifying stages. So we'll get onto that later on. But Manchester United, they played on Saturday at lunchtime and they brushed aside Reading, also 4 0. All the goals coming in the first half. New signing Maya Letizia. She signed from Brighton in the close season. She scored two goals. Katie Zellerman, her 100th appearance for the Reds, scored a penalty. And Alessia Russo scored the fourth. And it was played in front of a record crowd for a Manchester United home game at Lee Sports Village. Just over 7,000 were there. And Sanji, you were at this one as well. 
Yeah, apparently the crowd was uh, uh, just over 5,000 in the end that were, were present, but I think they'd sold something around the, or, or close to the um, 7,000 tickets. But yeah, no, I was, I was there and it was a, a great game in terms of, of United uh, attacking display and, and May Letizia, Letizia really showing exactly why they were so keen to bring her in. I mean, the, the goals she scored were, were clinical. Then also, I mean, again, Katie Zellen being so dangerous uh, with her corner kicks in, uh, for the for the headers that they scored is you know United looked quite impressive. Uh, I was like, expecting maybe a bit more from from Reading, but they just kind of just got brushed aside by just the attack that United have. I mean, uh, with the fact you've got uh, Letitia in there combining with an inform Alessia Russo, inform Ella Toon, Katie Zellum, you know, pulling the strings in midfield. It, it was a kind of uh, great team performance by Mark Skinner's side. Yeah, apologies on the crowd. Blame Emma Sanders for that because she tweeted that out. So I'm going to, uh, I'm, that's my excuse anyway. Um, United have strengthened well, haven't they? And they've not really lost any key players, have they? So they could well be a threat, couldn't they? Definitely in terms of, you know, their, 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 their thing, I guess, the big thing for them is to try and break into that top three. Although Mark Skinner said he didn't want to make any predictions or say anything about the top three chase. He just wants to focus on it being game by game. But yeah, they do. They certainly do look threatening. Uh, I know a lot of fans were chatting on social media about Jackie Gronin uh, leaving and, and moving on to Paris Saint-Germain. And there were concerns around that and in terms of Man United's um, midfield. But then you look at the midfield and, and how they how they were against Reading and they seem to cope very well. But then I guess maybe maybe use the same point um, uh, as Alexandra made about, you know, if, if they're against uh, tougher opposition, like you say, like an Arsenal, how, what will it be different? Will we see a, such a, a, bl a blistering attacking display from them? I guess, but I guess we'll wait and see when they face bigger teams or teams higher up the table, certainly than Reading. Alex, I know you mentioned in, in the WhatsApp group, you said you felt this could be the year that they leapfrog City. Do, do you still stand by that? Yeah, I do. I think there's just something about United this season. Like Sandra said, they've strengthened in areas they needed to strengthen. And, you know, starting WSL campaign off with a 4 0 win, albeit not perhaps looking convincing, but a 4 0 win is a 4 0 win. And City, City have lost a large chunk of their midfield. Like Kira Walsh used to pull the string, so to speak, in midfield and losing a player of that quality and that calibre you can kind of see City are going to struggle this season. So I do think this might finally be the year for Man United to pip City to the post. Beautifully, it's segued there because we're going to get on to what was probably going to be known as Super Sunday because of what happened. It was certainly an action-packed weekend for you, Sandra. You went to an incredible game between Aston Villa and Man City. Our WhatsApp group was nearly blowing up at it. Um, it was a fantastic game, wasn't it? Which Villa won in the end of shot Man City. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, they start a bit of a tetchy start, but then once that uh, first goal went in from Alicia Lerman, who I thought she performed very well um, in terms of the harrying that, you know, she did along along with her teammates in terms of the pressing. Once that first goal went in, and it was just like goals galore. And and you, you, you would have thought that once Man City went up to 3-2, once they battled back after Daly scored that her superb, like, opening goal for Villa and then... The, uh, you know, you had Kenza Dali as well, netting and, and just Lehman obviously scoring the opener. Once Man City went up to 3-2, battled their way back, 
you thought, well, that's it, you know, City will probably just see this one out, wrap it up, maybe they might get a couple more and it'll be another a loss for Villa against uh, City. But, you know, Villa just weren't having it. They just, you know, whenever they got the opportunity to counter, they were just, the counter-attack now that they have with the players that um, Carla Ward has brought in, some really astute uh, summer signings. I mean, the counter-attack looks dangerous. When you look at the pace of, say, for example, young up-and-coming player like Laura Blinkilder, Lerman, and then you add to that Daly, Kenza Daly was, in, you know, really impressive in um, it as kind of like that number ten. And then also for that, that you know, the final goal. I mean, Kenza Daly's move forward and the way she timed um, stopping in the box and then just releasing the ball. And Hanson tried to shoot, uh, you know. Roebuck saved that and there was Daly there to, to tap it in for the rebound. It's just that that attack now is dangerous and is, it, it can probably take on any team in the league. I think they're a threat, you know, on the counter for, for any team in the league as they've shown that, you know, here they are for the first time beating a top three side aside that's won the WSL, you know, in, in recent years. So it's an altogether kind of kind of new look attack from Villa and, and, and more goals from them, which was an issue, um, I guess, last season. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it, Sandra, seeing Rachel Daly playing up front because as we've just seen her in the Euros, haven't we, playing at left-back, but she's up front of Villa and she's pretty prolific, as she was when she was over at Houston. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, obviously, if you Lionesses fans who were following England and are new to maybe following the women's game or, or have just literally just been following England for a number of years and maybe not necessarily paying attention to what uh, Rachel Daly was doing while she was at Houston, won't be familiar with her perhaps as an attacker, although she did come, when she came on loan a couple of seasons back for West Ham, she was playing up top and she looked very good for them. I remember a game West Ham played against Chelsea at Kingsmeadow and Rachel Daly was a handful. Then I think she scored the opener, much to the Chelsea fans' surprise uh, for West Ham. But I mean, in, in, in front of goal, she is something else. She's outstanding, you know, so it's just in terms of her movement, uh, positioning as well and just in terms of reading the, the play of her teammates she is she's very very skillful up front so I mean it's a, a great boost I guess for for Aston Villa and they haven't they've still got Simone McGill to come back when she gets back from her injury so you know it's looking good for them in terms of that attacking lineup. As I say we we're chatting about this in our WhatsApp group um, over the weekend and Chessie normally hosts this podcast she well, she was beside herself with the style of play that Villa were playing. Could could we dub it Carla Ball, Sandra? That's what some of the fans are calling. I know there are some, you know, certain uh, Man United fans who, one in particular, uh, called Natalie, who who follows uh, Carla Ward's. Uh, oh, we know um, Natalie. Uh, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I suppose you could call it uh, Carla, Carla Ball. I mean, after what season of of having to like sit deep and dig deep and then maybe you know the last season for example it was flagged that the goals were were an issue getting the goals were an issue for them and finishing in that final third was an issue but whereas yesterday was a completely different ball game altogether I mean they could have had six I think there were a couple of times towards the end um, after the, when they went four up there were a couple of times where they could have added two more and it just Roebuck made some good saves but they just in terms of that counter-attack looks so dangerous, uh, just in terms of the speed of which they're going forward. And then Kenza Dali as well with the, you know, the passing, just they, they look a different proposition in attack this season. I'll ask all three of you this then. Can they be the surprise package and maybe top four? I mean, I did write that down, but then I thought, am I just being a complete idiot? But what do you think? I think 
well, well, like yesterday, Carla was saying, you know, this is a big, big win. But at the end of the day, it's, it, you know, she said it was a statement win, but it won't, won't be much of a statement unless we get the next set of, you know, the next win, unless we beat Leicester, uh, which is who they play this coming weekend. So I think for them, they'll be taking it game by game. And it'll be interesting to see how they, how they do against, um, you know, other teams who are similar to them mid-table, but also how they do against other like the other top three teams against an Arsenal, who I think inflicted a heavy defeat on them on that final the the um, final day of or towards the end of last season anyway, and then how they do against like Chelsea, uh, you know, and and Man United, you know, how will they do against the other teams higher up the table? Will it be a similar thing? Can they pull off another shock? And I guess that will, you know, kind of indicate where we think they might end up at the end of the season. Alex, you'll happily call me an idiot, won't you? I mean, yes and no, but I read a stat yesterday on Twitter about Villa and it said this season already they've scored 30.7% of the goals that they scored in total last season. So you can already see a change in the way they're playing. And perhaps, I'm not going to say they're going to do what the Leicester men's team did all those years ago when they won the league, but for Aston Villa, if they finish top four or even if they finish in the top half of the table, it'll be a great thing. There's no pressure on them. There's pressure on the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, City to continuously be playing at the highest level, be winning those trophies. So if Villa are able to somehow sneak in, it'll be a great thing because it's unexpected and that's what we want in football. We don't always necessarily want all your Chelsea's, your Arsenal's, your City's always at the top. So for Villa, why not? Why not dream big? Dan, what do you think? Are you in agreement? Are you going to sit on that fence? I think in terms of the sides who finished in the bottom half last year, I think they've got the most potential to break into the top half, whether that be you know fifth or sixth. Um, I think the, the issue last year was consistency as well as the goals. You know, they'd go away and they might get a great result, a 1-0 away from home, and then they'd go back to, to Walsall and they'd really struggle. You know, they went months without a home win last year, I think. So... I think I think actually the record at Villa Park wasn't that great before yesterday neither. So that that's a plus in itself. But yeah, I think if they can get consistency and then see where it takes them, I think that's the first thing for them. You know, if, if they can start stringing together two, three, four wins, then you know that that's an improvement. But I, I certainly think that they should be looking at top half, providing that they've got players fit as well. Because let's not forget. You know, they went into yesterday with an injury crisis with, you know, four, five, six key players out and, um, you know, they've still got the win. But, yeah, if they can avoid too many more injuries, then, you know, they've got a chance. Sandra, Man City then, do you think the key departures in the summer and sort of the back end of last season are now starting to catch up with them? Well, you can't under understate the kind of the impact of a loss of players of the calibre of of Kira Walsh and, and Georgia Stanway. I mean, what Kira Walsh seen as one of the standout players of the Euros, you know, really pulling the strings and kind of influencing, leading, controlling um, the midfield for them in that deep lying role for, for much of the last season, along with, you know, and then you have Stan Stanway with her drives forward, also tough tackling as well. I mean, that that's a, and then obviously you're, you're missing the kind of the guile of Weir when, when, she, when she would play for them. So that's a, big loss in terms of, well, the midfield, but then also, I guess, the attack for um, Weir. But with, yeah, with the midfield, it's, um, Gareth Taylor mentioned after the game yesterday how he's um, putting their new signing, Leia Alexandri, 
there who I think played in central defence for her previous club in Spain, but she's now in that defensive midfield position. And I guess it's with City, it's kind of like they're in transition, as, as you know, was mentioned, but then also it's for Alexandri, you know, new club and you're getting used to the system and you'll play at your teammates and everything around you. And then you're, you're in this role. So I guess it's a matter of them having to get used to, to, to you know, her and the team having to get used to her being there and then obviously adjusting to the, the kind of the differing style of play in the WSL compared to obviously top flight in Spain. Um, it's a, I mean, yeah, I mean, City, they, they wouldn't want to have lost yesterday. We would have expected to get the three points given the record they had against Villa. And then for them, I guess, if you're facing that kind of challenge from Aston Villa, how much more difficult will it be for you when you go up against Arsenal, Chelsea, um, you know, and... Um, Man United and maybe even the teams just below them in terms of like a Tottenham who, who might, you know, the, the, the teams who've got the, the experienced players who may well cause you problems. So I think for them, it's kind of like they're having to adjust to, you know, all the new players that have come in. But then also you had uh, Esme Morgan and Steph Houghton making their long comebacks after a long spells out. And I think that, you know, was something they have to bear in mind and get used to. So I think all these things have to be taken into consideration in terms of you know what's happened with City but I don't think they can afford to have too many of these results otherwise that challenge title challenge Taylor's talked about won't you know won't falter. Yeah good to see Esme Morgan back she was one of our guests in our Euro Summer Hangouts which you can listen to if you have subscribed to the podcast you can go back to listen to that if you haven't heard that so far. A great crowd at Villa Park as well. A record for the ladies team is 6,785. I hope I'm right on that one Sandra but um <laughs> On that one, and also at Man United, could you feel the buzz at those grounds, and you know, following on and riding on the crest of the wave of the Euros? Yeah, definitely. I mean, with Villa Park yesterday, just every time they're going forward, just it was, you know, it didn't look from the, the, maybe the visuals on, on television. You might have seen some of the empty stands, but when you're there, it was just very, very loud. The crowd was just roaring them on. It was a good atmosphere in terms of what they created for, for both teams in that game. And then certainly, uh, uh, you know, at Lee, it was very, very loud, very, very noisy. So it was, it's great in terms of that follow-on from, um, I guess, from the Euros. But I, I guess the hope is you want to see more fans turn out and the, the, the numbers rise, um, you know, as the, the, the league continues to get more popular and, and, and more exposure. Well, like last season, Chelsea lost their opening game of the season. As we say, it's week two, but week one didn't take place. This time, it was at nearly promoted Liverpool, and there was some slight controversy around it. All three goals in the game were penalties. Now, Frank Kirby gave Chelsea the lead from the spot in the first half, and then Gura Wright had a goal ruled out far offside. In the second half, Millie Bright was a judge of handballed in the second half, and upstepped the American Katie Stendhal to send... Musovic the wrong way. Millie Bright was then withdrawn by Emma Hayes and Liverpool got a second penalty for a foul. And if it had gone to VAR, then I reckon they would have stuck with it because it looked like she got the player first, then the ball. Uh, Alex might disagree with me in a minute. Um, But Chelsea knocked on the door towards the end. Emma Hayes also said her side couldn't hit a barn door. But as it was, it's a brilliant victory for Matt Beard's side. And... um, Alex, I'll come on to you in a minute. But Dan, do you think Liverpool mean business this season? I think they'll do quite well. I think they'll do better than Villa and Leicester did in their first year. I think that's the key thing. Um, you look at the players they've signed. Van der Sanden's obviously got a little bit of, um, you know, kind of reason to come back to the club and do well. Emma Coyvee still was 
ultra um, consistent at Brighton. So they picked well there. Obviously, Matt knows Jilly Flatty inside out. So he's gone with players who are either consistent or, you know, players that he knows quite well to the league. You know, they're better than the players that they probably came up with. Um, but they've kept the core of the players who did so well in the championship for them as well. So, you know, they've still got Leanne Keane in as well. If she can stay fit this season or for the majority of this season, you know, she, she might get a few goals. So um, I think, you know, I, I don't think they're going to set the world alight. I think they could shock one or two teams as we saw yesterday. But um, I certainly don't think a relegation battle's on the horizon. I think they're better than, you know, certainly maybe three or four, four sides in the league. Alex, your thoughts? I mean, the first penalty was uh, for Chelsea was a penalty. The first penalty for Liverpool, I don't think was a penalty because there wasn't really much Millie Bright could do about it. Like someone said, short of Millie Bright cutting off her arm, there's nothing she can do about that. The third penalty, or at, like when you see it in real time, I didn't think it was. But then when they showed the replays, you can see it is a penalty. So that one is fair enough. I do think... It very much seemed to me that every time Sam Kerr ran, like she was just flagged offside. And they looked at the Sam Kerr goal that was ruled out for offside at half time in the studio. And she was, in fact, onside. And that's twice now in the past two seasons that decisions like that have cost Chelsea because it happened last season in the opener against Arsenal when Beth Mead was like, she wasn't even like closely offside. She was yards offside and the goal was counted. And I, I feel like I say the same thing about refereeing, whether it be men's football, women's football, whatever. Refereeing decisions cost games. And you look at you look at that. If Chelsea had got that second goal before half time, it's a completely different game. But Chelsea have enough quality in their side to be able to, if they go two one down, they should be able to come out with a three, two, four, two win. So like Emma Hayes says, it's not good enough. And I think Perhaps Todd Bowley making comments about a whole range of things this week probably hasn't helped because Emma Hayes is getting questions left, right and centre. Oh, what do you think about Thomas Tuchel sacking? What do you think about this? Like, it's got nothing to do with her. You should just let, ask her about the women's game and let her focus on her job. So, um, Sandra, the old, uh, the old VAR debate again, eh? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, when it, if it's like you say, as, as, as Alex says, it's um, when it when it's decisions that you know could be the difference between uh, wins, losses, and what have you, and could be pivotal, uh, you know, for in terms of what a team's trying to do. It, it does kind of like people are like, oh, why don't we? Why don't you have it in the WSL? I think that there's a cost implication, which is why they're they're not looking to bring it as yet because it's quite expensive. And yeah, I mean, yeah, you but you. The, the referee in terms of decisions like that it has to be spot on but at the same time you I maybe I'm playing devil's advocate you sometimes sympathize in terms of the speed at which things are happening and the re referee only has like a, a you know split decision to make it and they don't have the benefit of VAR I guess at the moment but then but then that underlines what why you need it but yeah it's the cost implication I think I don't think we're going to see it in the WSL anytime soon yeah, I was watching it in a pub yesterday and I heard somebody go, well, have they not got VAR? And I thought, I need to get another pint and explain it all to them, but I didn't in the end. Um, Alex, Chelsea, no need to panic yet. Our worry is there. No, I mean, despite Chelsea losing, they had some good moments, you know, like Lauren James looked very good and it's a big responsibility for her to take on the number 10 shirt. Would it be like Christian Pulisic for the men's side, you know, 
where a big name player had that shirt for so long, like Christian Pulisic's following in the steps of Eden Hazard. Lauren James is taking on that responsibility of following in the steps of Jason Yoon after switching from number 19. So this is sort of a breakout season for Lauren James. And, you know, like she had a lot of injuries last season, didn't really play as much as she would have liked to. Now she's playing, she's, she's probably going to be a starter, which is good for her and for Chelsea. And, you know, Chelsea have made good signings, but it's kind of hard to tell how they'll pan out because despite Khadija Buchanan giving away the penalty, other than that, I thought she was pretty solid in defence. She played well, she's tracking back, did did her job quite well. It was so good to see Fran Kirby back and firing and fit because that was a big issue towards the end of last season. And it fair play to M Hayes, making sure she was ready for the Euros. And, you know, we all know how that turned out for Fran Kirby in England, which is really great to see. So it's not time to panic yet. If they perhaps struggle against Man City, that's where it might start to worry. But if they end up, you know, beating City 4-0 when they played them like they did last season, I think... Fans, fans are already calling for Gareth Taylor's head from what I've seen on Twitter. They're not happy with the way he's sort of taken this Man City side forward. So it, it could be one of those where perhaps the fans' voices are actually heard and, you know, City, City might have to part ways with Taylor. But I think Emma Hayes, as we've seen in the Chelsea documentary, she doesn't stand for nothing. She will, she will go off at them and like make sure they're training twice as hard, if not five times as hard, to ensure they don't make those silly mistakes again. And another record crowd at Prenton Park for a Liverpool home game this time as well. So record crowds all round at the minute. Now, Spurs are many people's dark horses this season. They opened their season with a win away at Leicester. Dan, you were there. What did you make of it? I mean, I'll be honest, the first 25 minutes was nothing at all to write home about. Um, and then you got two great goals. Goals change games, and that's exactly what you got, really. Um, I mean, Ashley Neville, I don't know. She must be the only person in the world who wants to take that shot on, you know, 35, 40 yards out. But what a hit, you know, right in the top corner to feel, you know, to to feel as calm as she did and to execute it so well was just superb. And then Ellie, um, Drew Spence followed that up a few minutes later, scored another long-range goal. Um, Kirstie Lavelle, Lavelle probably could have done a little bit more um, to keep that out, I think it just caught her off guard a little bit. Um, second half, Leicester threw what they could at Spurs, but to be fair, I thought Spurs were were very rigid and you know resolute in the defending. And to be honest, Rebecca Spencer in goal didn't have an awful lot to do. So yeah, I think Spurs were good value in the end. Um, you know they've got a strong squad. Impressed with the options up front. The midfield's very very um, solid, experienced in there. Um, and you know, the, again, the defense are really strong. So yeah, they've got a good mix. Um, they've got plenty of depth, which is good. Um, so you know, see where the season takes them. But yeah, I think they they're not everybody's cup of tea. The way that they play, they're like a battle, they're like a scrap. But um, yeah, I think they could do quite well. So do you think Spurs have gone under the radar a little bit? Should other teams be looking over their shoulders at them? I think yeah. When when they're fit, when everybody's fit, I think you know they can do you know, do really well, I think. Um, you know, you look at the team yesterday, they had Drew Spence, who kind of ran the game in midfield. She's got Angrad James next to her, who, you know, when she was at Reading, I thought she was one of the most consistent midfielders in the league at that time. Um, you've got Ash Neville in the midfield, as Meteor Hill's another good player who's coming through. 
you know, the defence you've got experience with Zadorski and Bartrip and they've added Turner in there. And then up front, it feels like, you know, last year it was maybe always about Rachel Williams, but they've got some good options, Spurs. I mean, I thought Jess Naz was lively yesterday. They've got the, um, I think she's finished girls summoning. Um, but you look at the bench and the players who they've got to bring on. Um, you know, Ellie Brazil came on and she was very lively. They've got a Polish international, Kazuska, um, the number nine. Um, and then, you know, they've got Erin, um, Kia Simon and um, Bizet as well to come on. So, you know, they've got lots of attacking options this year. It's not just about one plan, I don't think. I think, you know, when they need to get win games in different ways, I think they've got the options there to do that. And Leicester, do you feel another tough season awaits them? Yeah. Um, my concern was they didn't sign enough in the summer. It felt like they needed changes. Um you know, and maybe it didn't happen as much as the, that you'd hope, really. Um, Lydia Bedford, you know, her intelligence and understanding of the game always comes through so brightly. But, um, yeah, I, I am concerned. You look at the bench as well and, you know, out the, you know, seven, six or seven substitutes they had yesterday, I think there was only two or three over the age of 20. So, you know, that that that's a concern that they haven't got that experience to put on and bring into the team and, you know, the attack... They don't have a lot of attacking options, and you know, I, I wouldn't say they were toothless yesterday, but they were they were missing an experienced forward really who's going to get them goals. So, yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for Leicester. They are the favourites to go down, but you know, again, if you look at Brighton and Reading this weekend, you know, they maybe haven't Brighton probably performed the best of the three sides, but again, looking at squad depth, you know. Between the three sides, there's there's not a lot of senior players on the bench. If they get a few injuries, then you know it could impact who's going to be scrapping at the bottom. Everton are another side who underwhelmed last season. They've started off this season with a defeat away at West Ham, for whom Paul Koncheski scored a win in his first game in charge. The only goal came when Lisa Evans headed in from a recycled corner. And Everton, I think that noise says it all, Sandra, doesn't it? Yeah, I think with Everton, it's, um, I mean, they've gone, had a, quite a lot of change. And, and I think that the kind of like the, the players who've left over the last couple of seasons, I mean, when you look at, the, like, for example, Rasso was there at one point, you, you've, Danielle Turner's gone, um, but, you know, um, players moved to Brighton, um, uh, moved to Brighton from them. You've, uh, Simone McGill's gone. And, and so it's the quality that they've lost some quality players. And obviously, Santa McKeever has, has gone to, to Man City. And that those are some, you know, impressive players that you've lost there. And then, plus, obviously, managerial kind of changes they've had quite a bit, I'd say. So, you know, Sorensen, I guess, has got a, a kind of big task in terms of shaping the team and how he wants them to be. And then, it, you know, the plan of obviously trying to get them to where they were before, where Everton were seen as the team that were going to challenge the top three. They were seen as the team that this is the team that's going to get into the Champions League. They'd, you know, they'd won it. They, you know, they'd, they'd done well against the top sides in terms of taking them on. So it's it's quite it's, to see where, you know, where they were, where they finished last season. And obviously losing the opening game yesterday, it's quite tough, but they have lost a lot of quality players over the last few seasons or so, and that, that was obviously going to have an impact. Yeah, and Paul Koncheski, now he was, he was um, Oli Harder's assistant last season, so it's not like he's gone into the job blind, is it? No, I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he was there last season working with, with Harder. He's been part of West Ham 
just in general in terms of the, the you know academy set up for the men's side uh you know for he's been there for a while and then the signings that west ham have, have made have, have been quite impressive in the summer transfer window and particularly the addition of uh, vivian assay um, i don't i hope i'm not sure how you pronounce her surname apologies if it's mispronounced but you know that's a really that's quite an impressive of signing from Bayern munich um I think there was video doing around on YouTube amongst West Ham fans of her doing scoring a bicycle kick. So that's quality they're bringing in there, you know, experienced France international uh, to, to add to that side. So, yeah, no, he hasn't gone in blind. Um, uh, the, the, the team, like, you know, they, they, they have faith in what he's doing in terms of what, what he wants to get out of them. And, uh, yeah, so that's quite a good start for him. And, and you hope to see uh, West Ham do well in terms of maybe improving on that, that mid-table finish they had last year. Dan, in terms of Paul Koncheski, I mean, it's quite um, fair fair play to him, I suppose, because of the level he's played at as well. It's um, it's good for him, I suppose, that he's going in and, and taking his first job, not, not only at that level, but also at, the, at a women's level, a women's team as well. Feels a bit sink or swim, to be honest. Um, obviously, he's had that year at West Ham working with Ollie and that, that, you know, that's probably swung it as to whether he's equipped for the game or not. Um, you know, transitioning from men's to women's or women's to men's, you know, doesn't always work. But, um, you know, he's, he's got a lot of experience in the game. He obviously knows a lot of the players that are, that are at the club. Um, I think he's worked with the club well behind the scenes as well, as, as Sandra was saying, in terms of the players who have come in. Um, you know, it, they've, they've gone out the box and signed players from far and wide. It hasn't been kind of one one recruitment plan, I don't think, or one area that they focus the recruitment on. Um, so, you know, I think it looks like, you know, behind the scenes, everything's solid. Um, but it's also nice to see him bring some young players in as well, you know, players who maybe not made it at Arsenal and, and places like that. And, you know, he's got a good mix. Um, you just you, you just hope that he can get the best out of the experienced players and, you know, just filter a few of the young ones in and, and hopefully he's got a few kind of diamonds in there. So we're going to move on and look at the championship and also we're going to have a National League roundup as well very shortly. But top of the championship with a 100% record are Bristol City. They beat Sunderland 1-0 at home thanks to Jamaican international Shania Hales who he signed from Aston Villa in the summer. And Dan, they underwhelmed a bit last season, didn't they, after relegation, but they started well and you'd fancied them to be in the mix at the end of the season, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think un underwhelmed is probably not the word I would use. I think obviously they got relegated, you know, what was it, 2000, uh, 2021, um, lost most of the squad. Matt Beard obviously moved on to Liverpool and Lauren Smith came in and put a new squad together. And they took just, you know, I don't know, a month or so, two months of the season to gel. And then after that, to be honest, they're ultra consistent. And, you know, the, even at the end, until you know, probably March, April time, they even slightly flirted with promotion. And there's a big game with Liverpool that they didn't win and that kind of blew it in the end. But yeah, my concern was that they wouldn't carry that consistency over into this season. But, you know, they've made a few signings. They have had a couple of easy fixtures or easier fixtures to start the season. Um, but, you know, they've, they've carried the momentum over and, you know, there's some good coaches in the championship and I think, Lauren's definitely one of them. What she's done there is absolutely amazing, really, um, you know, in such a short period of time. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've got every every belief that they'll get back in the Super League with Lauren in charge, whether that's this year or next year or the year after. Um, you, you know, we'll wait and see. But 
Um, you know, she's got a good squad there, tough league this year, but, you know, she, she's one of the most talented coaches in the league without a doubt and um, they won't be far away. Yeah, she's one of these that's come through sort of the FA system, hasn't she? Yeah, I think she worked under Ian Skinner at Spurs for a while as well. Um, but yeah, she's got a good grounding in the game and yeah, um, she's not probably one of the most biggest kind of out there personalities, but, you know, she's she's very intelligent and very down to earth and grounded in what in what she does. Um, she's got obviously got great contact. She's got some good support of the board behind her. Um, but yeah, um, what a job she's doing. She, the the dark horses you probably don't speak about Bristol City with some of the money which is getting thrown about in the league elsewhere. But you know she de- deserves every bit of praise for everything she's done in you know the last 15, 16 months. So Bristol City are three points clear off Sheffield United, Charlton and Crystal Palace. Both Charlton and Sheffield United won. The latter beating poor old Coventry United 8-0. Palace went down 2-1 at home to Southampton. He picked up their first win of the season. But Coventry United, Dan, it's not looking good for them and it looks like another season of turmoil. It's not, but don't write them off yet. Um, I think Lee Birch knows how to um, run a club on a shoestring budget. Mm. Not saying that the budget is small, but we know obviously it's a part-time budget compared to some of the full-time budgets in the league. Um, he signed quite well. I think last week he signed Ellen the Heaps, who obviously got injured at the weekend, and Esther Morgan, which was a pretty good signing as well. So I think they've signed players probably above my expectation of what they would sign. It is going to take some time to gel. They're not going to get a lot of points this season. Um, but Blackburn are another club who, who really, really worry me in terms of their recruitment. Um, you know, it just doesn't feel that they're bringing in the players to progress the club. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like it might be a ding-dong between them and, and Coventry. Obviously, Blackburn do have points on the board at the minute, which is the big difference. But, um, yeah, Coventry are going to be down there. But don't write them off because I think there might be one one or two other teams who are going to be battling relegation as well. Yeah, Charlton, as we mentioned, under Karen Hills, a good start from them. They beat relegated Birmingham. So that was quite the result as well, wasn't it? Yeah, being impressed with Birmingham's recruitment over the summer. I think any club that signed Siobhan Wilson is going to be up there. Some of the players they brought in, um, you know, are of a high standard, you know, loans from Super League clubs. So, They've got a good squad this year, Birmingham, and obviously Darren Carter's brought some of the um, the identity and you know the the kind of love back to the club, if you like. Um, Charlton, there was a lot of change over the summer, um, so that was you know particularly the size of the scoreline as well. I thought was a little bit of a shock yesterday. I think they will be up there this year. They've signed some better players than what they had last year. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised how quickly it's come together for them. As Dan mentioned, Blackburn have, uh, could struggle this year. They lost 2-1 at Durham. That was in part to two goals from Sayosi Noonan. And London City, they drew 0-0 with Lewis. Now, moving down into the National League, starting off in the north, what, what caught your eye, Dan? I mean, there's... Jonathan Morgan's doing a great job at Burnley, isn't he? I think, you know, they're second at the minute. Um Wolves are up there as well as you'd expect after going so close in that championship playoff last year. Um, it's a competitive league. Again, it gets back to that good old question of whether it should be one up from each league or, well, potentially more in the championship if you felt the clubs are ready. But yeah, it, it's back to that thing. Wolves or Burnley could go and win the league or Forest or Derby or whoever's in that league towards the top. Um but they've still got that championship playoff mm. to win promotion. So that, that's the frustrating thing. But yeah, great competition at the top. Um, you know, if you're a supporter of one of those clubs, it's going to be exciting right to the very end of the season. 
Uh, and what about down in the south when we had you on a couple of weeks ago? There was um, it looked a lot more competitive than maybe it was last year. Yeah, and I think you're seeing that. I think Oxford are top at the minute. I know I tipped Watford, and I think they battered somebody about six 0 yesterday. So, um, yeah, I think Watford have, have signed well since they went down. Um, and you're going to have clubs like Ipswich up there as well. So, yeah, again, that league, there's only a couple of points in it at the top um, between, you know, three, four, five clubs. So um, it's good to see the level of competition. Again, it's a good advert for the game. Um, and I'm sure next time you speak to me, it'll, it'll be all change again. Down below that, there's teams with big ambitions like Hashtag United and Newcastle United who were in the divisions below that. And they're... Those two teams have had different starts, haven't they? Yeah, I mean Newcastle. Obviously, I'm, I'm. It's my kind of local area, but you know, when when the the club give the women's team the support that they've had, they've obviously had that twenty two thousand gate at St James's last year, and you know they're, they're talking about championship. Um, they've got to deliver the goods. Um, they're up there. I think the second at the minute after five games, but they have dropped points. I think they've taken 10 from 15 or something like that. Um, I think the support they're getting from the stands is huge. 2,300 at the weekend when they played Charlie um, was a 1-1 draw. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a tough league that. They've got Middlesbrough in there. I think they've got Leeds United in there. Um, I think Durham Sestrier in there. So it's a tough league to be in. Um, but, yeah, they're going to have to deliver. But I, I don't see it being this rapid rise from, you know, tier four to tier two. You know, in no time, I think we, we've seen Southampton do it, you know, go from the bottom of the pyramid right up to elite game very quickly um, when they kind of launched their women's team. But, um, yeah, it might not be the same with Newcastle. It might, obviously, they've got that huge kind of carrot round the neck that everybody wants to beat them as well. And, mm. you know, particularly when they're playing in big, big stadiums with big crowds as well. So, yeah, let's see. But, um, yeah, it hasn't been playing sailing so far. And hashtag, they've won four out of five there. Another one making a lot of noise. Of course, they've got a big social media following and they're similar, aren't they? They're wanting to get into that National League and, and beyond. Yeah, not sure how much the investment is there, but um, they've started really well. Um, I think they got the, hit, hit somebody for 10 the other week, 5-0 um, against Cambridge this weekend. So, you know, they're a club who, it's, it, it's an interesting project. It's something a little bit different and it's a kind of see how far they can get up the pyramid. Um, will they get to the elite game? I'm not sure because, you know, again, we've just said there about the Southern, you know, Southern Premier when you've got clubs like Watford and Oxford and Ipswich who are desperate to get into the second tier. It's going to be really, really tough for them. But, um, yeah, they've started really well and, you know, they should be up there come the end of the season. Next week, we're hoping to be at Tranmere Rovers as the ladies play their first ever competitive game at Prenton Park. Tranmere have kindly invited us down, so we're hoping to be there. Tranmere are playing in the sixth tier of the pyramid in the Northwest Women's Regional Football League, so looking forward to that. Looking ahead to midweek, it is the Champions League qualifiers. Arsenal take on Ajax at Meadow Park, and Sandra, it's a tough tie, but a winnable one. Yeah, I mean, you'd expect um, Arsenal, w with the quality they have, to, to be able to um, to go through. I believe it's two second round, it's two legs, I believe. And then whoever wins this from, you know, the teams that win this from this round then go into the group stage, I believe. I'll double check, but I think that's what the rules are. Um, so obviously, 
Real Madrid, who beat, who knocked out City last time round, will be in this round against, you know, competing with teams as well as obviously Arsenal and Ajax in there and a host of other teams. But you'd expect that Arsenal, with their experience that they have and the quality that they have in the squad, that they should be able to progress uh, to the next stage. Yeah, it's very. Um, we were trying to work it out the last round. There's some teams in there that aren't in this round and. Are you able to explain it a bit better, Sandra? Because I think you need a degree in this to work out how the Champions League qualifiers work. I'm going to, again, I'll have to go back and double check. I believe that, so you had obviously the previous round, which City were in, and then the yeah. winners from that are in this, who then meet the, the teams who I think finished second in their leagues. So the ones who finished second in their leagues are facing others who came through qualifying. And then the winners from this second round are then, I believe go into the group stage of the competition. But I'll double check, I believe that's the rule. Right. Dan might be able to, <laughs> Dan, is that right? I'll try and explain it. I probably won't get any better than yeah. Sandra did, but round one, you have groups of four. Don't ask me how on earth to get the groups of four, but you get groups of four. Obviously, City went in there as the third team in the Super League last year. You play, you play two semi-finals, the winners play the final. The losers play a pretty pointless playoff because they're already out. And the, the the final winners from each of the finals go into round two. And I think they join something like nine clubs who were the league runners-up or, you know, whatever that is. Then you get the two-legged round two, like the usual kind of European ties, which is what we've got. And yeah. then the... How many winners will it be? I'm just looking at Alex's face. Yeah, so then you'll get the 12, the 12 winners of round two will meet Chelsea... Leon PSG, I think it is in Wolfsburg. Don't quote me on that. I think I'm right there. Um, but you can't. The other thing is, until the knockouts after the group stage, you can't not you can't draw another club from within your region. So you couldn't have an Arsenal Chelsea in the group stage, for example. But it's something like that. Alex, how's the head after that? To be honest, I kind of wish they just keep it simple like they do for the men's, where you have like the top four teams in each league. And then they go straight through to the group stages because this is just, I feel like everyone gets very confused by the women's qualification from the Champions League because you would presume that the top two teams would then just automatically go into the group stages. But in the women's game, that's not how it works. So hopefully, not just me, but people listening will sort of grasp what Sandra and Dan have said because to be honest, sometimes I feel like organisations just make things up as they go along. Yeah, Rangers are another team in that qualifying stage. They take on Benfica at Ibrox, and it's a historical night for them. And their first ever Champions League game at Ibrox. And Dan, I know you said about the men getting vervent support at Ibrox for the European Games. And if the women can even get half of that, then uh, that should spur them on, shouldn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong. If you go to one of the old firm games as a, as a men's supporter, I mean, I, I went to report on a game when I think Rangers men were in the second qualifying round of the Champions League and it was shaking by the end of it. Ibrox was absolutely shaking. So, you know, the really fanatical supporters up there and I hope that grows into the women's team um, or women's teams. Obviously, I don't think the, the Scottish Women's Premier League kind of gets the level of support that it probably deserves yet. But what we are seeing at the top of that league is that there is some money getting invested in, you know, clubs like Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Hibs as well, um, you know, are beginning to grow their women's teams and beginning to get success, um, you know, and kind of growing the game really well. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cracking tie against Benfica. I think they were one of the biggest winners in one of the first round ties. Um, they beat 20 in the final, which isn't and it isn't by any means an easy, easy job. So it's going to be really, really tough for Rangers. I think Benfica, um, you know, in the very early stage of the Champions League, played Chelsea a few years back and, you know, they, they were so kind of inexperienced at that point, but they've really come on and, yeah, they're going to give Rangers a real game over two legs. But, um, yeah, let's hope they get a good crowd and, you know, get, get some back in there to hopefully try and keep them in the tie going into the second leg. Yeah, they actually broke the monopoly of Glasgow City last year, Rangers. So, chance for them to push on and progress. And it's a big incentive for the club to qualify as you get €400,000 for qualifying for the group stages, which in the women's game is a lot of money. Of course, not as quite as much as the men's, but €24 million is distributed throughout the competition. So, while not being as high as the men's, we are seeing progression on that front, aren't we, Sandra? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Considering when you look at... And that's good to uh, when you consider... The crowd turnouts that they're getting at some of the games, obviously last season, Barcelona in particular, breaking um, attendance records at the new camp twice. And then when you also look at the viewing figures, I think they had like, like record viewing figures on with on DAZN, isn't it? With uh, people mm. able to view the matches on YouTube, which is quite a good, um, you know, very smart idea. So it's good that it is getting, you know, with the game in terms of the fact that particularly for the Champions League, that there are crowds willing to turn out in such high numbers for some of the teams. And you hope that the rest of the teams will start to see that. It is good to see that, that the prize money is starting to reflect the interest that the crowds are, sh are showing. And you hope that continues to grow. What you hope is that across, um, you know, the, you know, across with all the teams, across all the, the, the um, countries that they're getting, they start breaking records in terms of crowd turnouts. And other times to look out for our Man City conquerors, Real Madrid. They travel to Norway to face Rosenberg. PSG take on Hacken. And Bayern Munich travel to San Sebastian to take on Real Sociedad. Well, Sandra, Alex, Dan, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a, a great pod this week. Cheers, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram, the Women's Football Podcast. Give us a subscribe and a like as well and leave a review. I've been Luke Edwards. This has been the Women's Football Podcast and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>